You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Uh, buckle up. Week number six, rivalry week is here. Top 25 battles from top to bottom. Rock and Rich Sermonello. Not the sexiest of slates today, but quality football that will dictate conference titles. You, you touched on it, Joe. A lot of good rivalries. Michigan, Michigan State, even SMU, Houston, right? You've got some good games throughout the country. But the one that really has my interest is Miami, Florida State. For the past few years, we've looked at the Hurricanes under Al Golden, now Mark Richt, and we've said, you know, when is Miami going to get back? When is Miami going to be Miami? And I'm not suggesting that we're at that point. They don't have a Warren Sapp or an Ed Reed or a Vinny Testaverde, but this is an opportunity this afternoon in Tallahassee, Florida State hurting Miami has lost seven straight in the series. This is the weekend that Miami gets an opportunity to make a statement that they're back, at least in terms of the ACC Coastal. Well, history is not on their side. They've lost the last seven to the Seminoles by an average margin of defeat of 11.7 points per game. But we'll see how that game plays out in Tallahassee. 3.30 starts. Sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next three hours. A big show on top, 10.24 Eastern. We're going to be joined by former Texas A&M offensive lineman Richmond Webb. We'll get Richmond's take about that big battle in College Station. Number one, Alabama, taking on Kevin Summers and the crew at 1124 Eastern. We're going to be joined by former West Virginia running back Avon Colburn. We'll get Avon's take about that big battle in Fort Worth. West Virginia and Will Greer taking on Gary Patterson and Kenny Hill. And then at 1040 and 1140, we'll be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get Gabe's best bets for the early and late night games later today. But Rock and Rich Sermonello, that Thursday night game, Lamar Jackson... NC State, would there be a hangover effect for Dave Doran and the crew? Not so. They dominated Lamar Jackson 39-25, to put up 500 yards of total offense. Now undefeated in the ACC in that game in November, yeah. looming with the top-ranked Clemson Tigers. And they host, right? They host They're Clemson. They're in Raleigh that, that for that one, game. Yeah, that one will be, will be at Carter-Finley. Impressive effort. At, you know, I, I think we've all been a little bit suspect in terms, of, in terms of Dave Doran's team. Inconsistency has plagued them. They've been close against good opponents. Last year, nearly upset Clemson, nearly upset Florida State, fall short in both of those games. But this year, they look like a more confident team, a veteran team. You have Ryan Finley, the senior behind setter. Bradley Chubb has been phenomenal. I think he's playing at an All-American level. They've now defeated Florida State. They beat Louisville. They contain Lamar Jackson. Four straight wins since the opening day loss to South Carolina. That's an interesting team out of the ACC Atlantic. And they only lost that game uh, in, against South Carolina in Charlotte by seven points. And this should be a confident team going up against the top-ranked Clemson Tigers because they did have an opportunity last year to win the ball game, missed a field goal, lost in overtime by seven. So we'll see how that game plays out a little bit later in the year. But we're just getting started. Great games on tap. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. All 
Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it by going to DailyRoto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to DailyRoto.com to rock Daily Fantasy Sports. on college football today right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call. 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You can follow me on Twitter at GoFitThe2. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, huge battle taking place in College Station. Four and one Texas A&M facing the top-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. All Alabama does is win, baby. One hundred and twenty-five to three. The total combined score in victories over Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. They won four of the last five over the Aggies by twenty-five point four points per game. But Kevin Sumlin has an opportunity here: number one to save his job, and number two to possibly strike the upset later today. Listen, there's always a possibility with Texas A&M. I, I, I like the talent mix. I like what Kevin has done in terms of uh, aggregating his personnel offensively, defensively. The the major concern that I have, besides the fact that you know Alabama is just flat out a locomotive right now. They're a machine on offense, on defense. They're averaging a rather satanic 6.66 yards per carry. That's going to be difficult for Texas A&M and John Chavis. But, you know, I, I think you always have hope, Joe, when you have players like Travion Williams in the backfield, Christian Kirk, one of the top wide receivers and playmakers in the country. And the defense has been playing well. I mean, they're doing a good job at stopping the run. They have a little bit of momentum, struggled against South Carolina, but rallied late. Otaro Alaka, their, uh, their linebacker, five tackles for loss, a couple of sacks last week. So there's talent at Texas A&M, but Alabama's just playing at a completely different level. I've been impressed by Jalen Hurts. I'd like your take on his development as a sophomore this year. Yeah, the one thing that I was impressed about in terms of Alabama's play over the last couple of weeks now has been third down conversions. Entering two weeks ago, that game against Vanderbilt, they were only converting 38% of the time. Since that uh, game, though, the last two games against Vanderbilt and Ole Miss, they've converted 16 of 30 third down conversions, over 50%. They're converting now heading into this ballgame, 44% of their third down attempts and they're going up against a solid defensive front that's holding opposing offenses in Texas A&M to 28% on third down conversions. That's the matchup that I want to see play out. I lean to Texas A&M to keep this game close for the simple fact that they enter this game plus eight in turnover margin. They're forcing turnovers and they're very solid in run support holding opposing offenses to 95 rushing yards per game. There's only been one team that has rushed for over 100 yards it was Arkansas. The other four opponents on their schedule, under 100 yards, I think they can put Alabama into third down and long situations with the crowd. I think they keep this game close, but Alabama in the end does win this ballgame by around 14 points. I, I think it'll be more than 14. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time betting against Alabama at this point. I, I think it all comes down to what is their motivation. If Alabama wants to win by four touchdowns, five touchdowns, they have 
the personnel, they have the coaching, they have the motivation to do that. I, I, I think when you're looking to pick Alabama, it all comes down to the moment. How big is the moment? How much do they want to prove? We saw it a couple of weeks ago against Vanderbilt. It was Vandy. It wasn't like it was Alabama-Auburn. But, you know, there, there was some talk that Alabama was skidding a little bit. They struggled against Colorado State. Everybody was thinking, Vandy, maybe that was going to be a, you know, a big upset in Nashville. And Alabama became Alabama at that point. And then they continued against Ole Miss. I mean, a lot easier than I thought it was going to be 66-3 to against a decent Ole Miss team. So, you know, it all comes down to Alabama's motive. It might be close for a half, but at some point, that wave of running backs that they have, that ability of Jalen Hurts now as a true dual-threat quarterback, and that defense, which is getting better week after week. I love their secondary. You know, we knew about Minka. We knew about Ronnie Harrison, Anthony Averett. Now they have players like a former walk-on and Levi Wallace out of the defensive backfield who's playing exceptionally well. So this could be a close game for a half. At the end of the day, it comes down to Kellen Mond, a true freshman quarterback for Texas A&M, against Nick Saban's defense. That, to me, is a recipe for turnovers, possibly a pick six, you know, a fumble that gets taken back, one of those non-offensive touchdowns. I, I lean towards Alabama covering. I wouldn't say I have that with great confidence because the number's up around close to, what, four touchdowns? 26, 27 yeah. in that area. Yeah. I think the one thing when I look at Alabama, again, you're talking about a defense that enters this game plus 10 in turnover margin, just like Texas A&M. They're doing it better, and they're scoring off their turnovers. And when you can run the football the way they have now, they put up 496 rushing yards against Vanderbilt, followed that up with a 395-yard performance against Ole Miss. You put yourself into short third-down conversions, and that's why the offense is clicking at an all-time high right now. And when you look at Alabama defensively, I mean, holding opposing offenses to 73 rushing yards per game and only 28% on third downs. I mean, again, this is a dominant defense. They're going to be without hand now. Now, yeah. how does that affect the defensive front seven? I think if you're Texas A&M, Again, you cannot put the football into Kellen Mond's hands to take this game over. You need to rely on Travion Williams and Keith Ford. I think Keith Ford is the X factor for me. He's rushing for 302 yards on the ground, seven rushing touchdowns. This is an offense that is averaging 255 rushing yards per game. If you watch that game last year, Texas A&M, in the early part, they were down four, they were up 14 to 13 late in the third quarter yeah. against Alabama. Yeah. Again, I think Texas A&M has nothing to lose here. Kevin Sumlin can roll the dice, be aggressive at home. If you jump up early, it could be a ball game. Yeah, in terms of Kevin Sumlin, I, I, I'll, I'll take Alabama laying the points. I, I don't love it. I, I don't. I mean, I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence. I wouldn't be shocked if this was close for you know, maybe two quarters, maybe early into the third before Alabama takes off. But just quickly in terms of Kevin Sumlin, I think his team needs to be respectable. I, I think uh, Texas A&M, the administration, has seen what Alabama did against Vandy, did against Ole Miss. I, I, I think if, if the Aggies show well at home, if that 12th man is in this game beyond halftime, I don't know what that means in terms of hot seat or job security long term. But I think that helps him. He needs his team to be competitive. They can't get embarrassed at home. If you get embarrassed at home, think about Butch Jones against Georgia last week, 41 to nothing. On your home turf, if you allow that to happen against any opponent, 
job security goes right out the window. And, and the atmosphere in Kyle Field is going to be electric tonight. Always uh, is. So, n- yeah. a night game. I mean, when you look at the last few games now, I mean, two years ago in Kyle Field, Kyle Allen threw three interceptions that were re- returned for touchdowns. Last year, Trevor Knight in that offense moved the football yeah. effectively. They, they held Alabama on a third, critical third down and got a, a roughing the passer penalty that really allowed Alabama to maintain the drive. They then scored off turnovers and won that ball game by 19 points. But there were only two teams last year that were able to rush for over 100 yards against Alabama. It was Ole Miss at 101. They lost that ball game 48-43, and it was Texas A&M in that loss. 114 rushing yards in the loss. Keith Ford is a power running back. I think you can control the line of scrimmage if you move the football. Look out for Texas A&M methodical drives, not a shootout with Jalen Hurts with a young quarterback in Kellerman. Yeah, and and the other X factor for me would be Christian Kirk. I mean, I I would say just as a fan of college football, one of my favorite players to watch. I think he's going to excel on Sundays. He's going to be a great dual threat, not a quarterback, but a dual threat in terms of special teams and at wide receiver. Christian Kirk matched up with Minka Fitzpatrick is something that NFL scouts will be watching closely. Uh, unfortunately, the number one team is not going to be challenged in the fourth quarter this week. And I think it's going to be a while before we see Alabama really sweating a game out. We might have to wait until November before we see that type of a game. Well, like, Alabama does face Texas A&M today, and then they still have to face Butch Jones. And the reason why I would bring that up is two coaches on the hot seat, Kevin Sumlin and Butch Jones. You have nothing to lose here. I think an onside kick, a fake punt. I mean, at this point, entering this ballgame, do you feel like Kevin Sumlin should be? Because I think he should be all out today. You know, hurry up offense. Whatever it takes to try and jump up early to win this ballgame. Joe, you almost have to. I mean, you're not going to play conventional. You're not going to play it safe against this Alabama team. You have to go deep into your bag of tricks. You have to be creative. You have to be innovative. You have to take chances. I think your players also buy into that. I think your players get excited when there's you know, some wrinkles in your game plan, whether that's offense or special teams. And obviously, it goes without saying, the key is that this team does not get down early. I mean, if you're trying to rally, if, if Alabama jumps all over Texas A&M and it's 14-0, it's Lights 17-3, out. It's over, it. it's over. Particularly, now Trevor Knight, you mentioned, that was a key last year because Trevor Knight brought good mobility outside of the pocket. I think he had a big run in that game against Alabama. And he also brought veteran leadership, which is exactly what you need when you're facing an Alabama team. Yeah, I agree with you. So we'll see. I mean, it is very critical for Texas A&M to jump up early in this ball game I see this game I do see Texas A&M scoring first somehow so, some way and I see Armani Watts being the X factor from a defensive Love perspective Armani Watts I, I think he, 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 they, look for John Chavis to utilize him as a spy on Jalen Hurts to not allow Jalen Hurts the outside or the perimeter I think if they do that they can they can keep it close for uh, you know three, four quarters. Hey, if they do, then it's it's good for all fans, for sure. <laughs> well, when we come back, we'll be talking about West Virginia and TCU. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ezekiel Elliott. Carl Anthony Towns. Corey Seager. Those are the rookies of the year, much like the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
The fastest growing fantasy sports network on radio is completely free 24-7. Listen to us live at FNTSY.com slash radio or download the app right now in the Google Play Store or on iTunes. Great matchup taking place in Fort Worth, Big 12 battle, West Virginia, and Will Greer taking on Kenny Hill and TCU. TCU's won three of the last five over West Virginia by 10.6 points per game. Little bit skewed. TCU did win two one-point games and then a 30-point blowout. But West Virginia got this victory in Morgantown last year, 34-10. This is a West Virginia offense, uh, Rich, that's averaging 596 total yards per game. I really like the way Will Greer is playing. Yeah, same I, I think they keep this game close and possibly are in striking distance for the upset later tonight. Uh, we're in agreement. I, I, a couple of things to keep in mind here. I really like Dana Holgerson from an offensive perspective. He he finally has a quarterback to run his system. This is arguably the best quarterback he has had in Morgantown, in Will Greer. And Will Greer has some good compliments. Justin Crawford behind him in the backfield. Uh, Gary Jennings, David Sills, his wide receivers. Not necessarily game breakers, but quality, reliable receivers. Here's something to keep in mind. Now, yeah, the numbers are a little bit inflated by the competition, right? I mean, right. West Virginia hasn't faced anyone. Last time they played was against Kansas. But one thing I want our audience to keep in mind is that in the opener against a pretty good defense in Virginia Tech, almost 600 yards of total offense. So, yeah, the numbers are skewed by the competition. But when West Virginia had to face a quality defense, Bud Foster's hokey defense, they delivered. And that was the first game with Will Greer. Will now has four games under his belt, four games to get accustomed to his personnel. So I like this offense. I like this as a possible shootout. And just from an entertainment standpoint, Good for college fans, Joe. Great. Great for the Big 12. I think this is a great showcase opportunity for the Big 12 to show the depth of talent that it now has in the conference. Yeah, and you look at the turnaround by TCU this year overall. I mean, they were 6-7 and seven last year in 2016. They allowed 187 rushing yards per game into opposing offenses. This year, holding opposing offenses to 95 rushing yards on the ground. So that's a critical factor heading into this ballgame against Justin Crawford and Will Greer and the West Virginia offense. I'll say this about TCU. Last year, they were 1-5 at home and lost those five games by 12.2 points per game. Good teams do not do that. Kenny Hill's playing well in the system. He's completing 72% of his passes, 900 passing yards. Again, he's an inconsistent passer. I know he's looked good at this part of the season, but I think West Virginia from a defensive perspective as well, when you've watched these matchups over the last few years, West Virginia forces teams to methodically work down the field. And I like the offense overall of this team. I, I, something tells me they're going to they're start fast, and I think they'll win this ballgame. I, I think the number is two touchdowns. And, and when I first saw that, I, I immediately thought that was an inflated line. For a quality West Virginia team, too many points. For a team that can score, even if it's in rally mode, Joe, I mean, I think TCU might be able to keep West Virginia at arm's length. Here's my concern 
in terms of going from a cover to an outright victory. I don't like the front of West Virginia. They do not do a good job of stopping the run. They got absolutely obliterated by Kansas and Khalil Herbert. For uh, Herbert ran for almost 300 yeah. yards against West Virginia. Now you're facing Darius Anderson. Kyle Hicks is healthy. The TCU offensive line. We talk a lot about Kenny Hill. We talk a lot about the defense. But the offensive line led by Patrick Morris in the middle has been outstanding in the first four games. So the ability to create space to blow West Virginia off the ball, that is my big concern. I think TCU could play keep away. That's the reason why I don't have the full-blown upset. But again, I have to stress the point that Will Greer, that offense, might be able to go toe-to-toe with Kenny Hill and his backs. So I think this is a competitive game. I think it's a game in which West Virginia covers. I wouldn't be shocked if it's one of those quintessential Big 12 games that's like 52 to 45, maybe even going into overtime. Could be a very exciting game. I agree with that, too. And when you look at Will Greer, not just his experience, but his mobility on the perimeter, that could be used in this ballgame. You look at the dominating win in Stillwater over Oklahoma State. Mason Rudolph, a prototypical drop-back passer. Will Greer's battle-tested as well. I mean, he was undefeated as a starting quarterback in the SEC. In the SEC, so he understands big games. I think they pull off the upset. I Do think you? it's I, I think it's high scoring though. I think it's in the area 48-41, that type of score. I mean TCU's a much improved team from last year, but I'm not all in with Gary Patterson in this group. Playing much better, especially in run support. But I think West Virginia has the type of playmakers to exploit this defense. And just to piggyback off of that, Joe, we were talking about it uh in the break before we came back on the air, and I thought about it all week. I mean, are we giving too much credit to TCU at this point? Impressive win over Oklahoma State. Yeah, they beat Arkansas. Arkansas is not very good this year, so I'm not going to really do backflips over beating the Razorbacks in 2017. Impressed by what they did against Oklahoma State. But the buzz that I'm hearing nationally is, hey, this might be a team that could win the Big 12 and be in the playoff. And I don't think they're at this point right now. Again, I like what they're doing defensively. Not a lot of great defenders, good players. Ben Banigou, by the way, the defensive end, has been an outstanding addition from the Sunbelt Conference. I think he was Louisiana Monroe. I get confused sometimes between the Warhawks and the Raging Cajuns. But the defense is better. The offensive line is running the ball. I think they're a good quality 10-win team, but a lot of this talk of playoff to me is premature when it comes to the Frogs. Yeah, I think it, it comes from two years or three years ago when they have Trevon Boykin. They were ranked number three in the country. That explosive offense and everybody just expected Gary Patterson to be a top five team for the next couple of years. Did not happen. It is a 330 start. Rich and I both like West Virginia. I like them for the upset. Rich thinks closer game. We'll see how that game plays out a little bit later today in Fort Worth. Another intriguing battle. SEC East matchup. Georgia after their dominating 41 to nothing victory in Knoxville, take on Vanderbilt. Georgia's won three of the last five by 26.9 points per game. They've dominated the competition, Rich. They're pounding the rock for over 200 yards in four of their five games. The only game that Georgia did not rush for over 200 was in the victory against Notre Dame, came at 186. But this offensive line playing very well, and it should continue in Nashville later today. Yeah, you know, Vanderbilt for me is like that girl that you know is no good for you. You, but you just you, you continue to date her for some reason. And I, I'm going back to Vanderbilt. I, I, I don't know why 
should I have my head examined? Because they have not played well the last two weeks, but now that they're back in Nashville where they did upset Kansas State a couple of weeks ago, I still like the defensive personnel of this Vanderbilt team. Kyle Shermer's playing well. Last weekend, they went toe-to-toe with Florida in the swamp. Really should have covered that game oh. if not for... Are <laughs> <laughs> you kidding? Are you saying I, 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 that on I, air? <laughs> yes, I am. They should have covered that game. If they if they tackled on fourth and one late in the game, yes. that was that was a one-touchdown uh, game and a rather fortuitous cover for Joe Lisi. But having said that, they, they were really nip and tuck with Florida. I, I still think Vanderbilt is a quality all-around program i don't think they beat georgia i was heavy on georgia last week have been overwhelmed by what kirby smart has been able to do with his defense joe but let's not forget he's using a rookie quarterback talented though jake Fromm may be he's using a true freshman quarterback and this team now georgia looks like a legitimate playoff contender i think they win in nashville but 17 and the hook I'll take that with Vanderbilt because I still think Vanderbilt is a quality 7-5 and five type of a team. I think they'll be excited to be back home. Well, I could see your point. I mean, Vanderbilt did get this victory in Athens last year, 17-16. to 16. I said Georgia won three of the last five by 26. It's been 29.6 points per game. They've dominated Vanderbilt in recent years when they have won. I will say this about Vanderbilt overall. To me, from a defensive perspective, they're worn out, in my, in my opinion, in terms of run support. They're giving up around 208 rushing yards per game over the last three games now against Kansas State. It was 201 rushing yards against Alabama was 496 and against a methodical Florida offense, they pounded the rock against Vanderbilt for 218 rushing yards on the ground. This is a Georgia offense that is averaging 237 rushing yards per game. To me, that's the difference now. If Vanderbilt can jump up early and put the pressure on Jake Fromm to make plays, it could be a ball game. But I'm just so impressed with the offensive line of Georgia. Now, two key absences for this ball game yeah, is Reuben Carter and Trent Thompson for Georgia's defense. That could be a fact. I was going to mention that. Yeah, I mean, Trenton Thompson, who had uh, kind of a murky offseason, looked like he was leaving the program, but was was arguably the hottest interior lineman in the SEC at the end of last year. I mean, Trenton Thompson, former five-star recruit, really has turned it up, playing exceptionally well, bringing it again this season. So possibly a little more softness, although I'm having a difficult time finding any holes in that Georgia defense. I mean, Kirby has done a phenomenal job. Lorenzo Carter, David Bellamy on the outside, Roquan Smith on the on the inside, uh, J.R. Reed in the in the secondary playing really well. He's an import from Tulsa. His dad. Former wide receiver Jake Reed, if you right. remember him from Jake Grambling Reed, in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, with Chris Carter and uh, Randy Moss from Minnesota. Yeah, so, I mean, Kirby has done a phenomenal job. They're beginning to look like an Alabama-esque type of an operation, from their ability to run the ball to their defensive play, getting just enough from the quarterback position. I love Georgia this season. I just think that they struggle a little more than they have in the past couple well, of weeks. Well, here's why I like Georgia as well. Um, Vanderbilt's having problems running the football, only averaging 80 yeah. rushing yards a game. If they cannot run the football on that Georgia defensive front that's holding opposing offenses to 90 rushing yards on the ground, they're going to be put in third down in long situations. In back-to-back weeks now, Vanderbilt, one of 10 third down conversions against Alabama, three of 13 against Florida. That's four of 23. 
three. So I give the advantage for Georgia in that matchup. But again, I think they, they're another team that has to start fast this coming Saturday. Do you have Georgia covering? I do. I okay. have Georgia covering that battle. It is a 3.30 kick. Keep an eye out. Actually, 12 o'clock on SEC Network. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello coming back. We'll talk, break down the top 25 Joe, uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. Hello, friends. If you want to win at Fantasy Sports, wouldn't you listen to people who have already won at Fantasy Sports? I'm here to tell you about DailyRoto.com. Don't be intimidated by the DraftKings and FanDuel Sharks, even the Fantasy Draft Sharks. The guys at DailyRoto.com have not only won a million dollars amongst one of the writers, but they've created three others. That's four people who have won millionaire contests from this content alone. Don't be fooled by screenshots talking about $25,000 winners from other places. Go to DailyRoto.com where they have a proven track record of creating millionaires. DailyRoto.com. Tell them Greg Sussman sent you. Up taking place in the Big Ten, Michigan State in Michigan. Mark Antonio, Jim Harbaugh. Michigan State's won three of the last five by 17 points per game. Last time they played in the Big House, Rich, unbelievable Memorable. outcome for the ages. Best game that I've ever seen happen in that rivalry. Yeah, one of the all-time great finishes. All Michigan had to do was <laughs> handle a punt. <laughs> And, uh, and it didn't work out, and uh, Michigan State had a victory for the ages. I, I don't know if we'll have a game that entertaining, but whenever you're battling for Paul Bunyan's trophy, something odd could happen. We have to ask Gabe how he felt about that game a couple of years ago, being a we big, should a ask big him Michigan, Michigan yeah. fan. I will say this about Michigan entering this ballgame now. Michigan State with a dominating home win over solid Iowa. Uh, they won that ballgame by seven points, but I look at this Michigan team entering this matchup, holding opposing offenses to 69 rushing yards per game. They held all th- uh, four of their five opponents under 100 yards. The only team that rushed for over 100 was Air Force. Holding opposing offenses to 19% on third down conversions, Rich, and more importantly, 18 total sacks entering this ball game, going up against a suspect offensive line in Michigan State. I think Michigan yeah. wins this ball game by, I, I, I'm going to surprise some people, 17 points or more tonight. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards a Michigan cover because in, in a game where both offenses are likely to struggle. I, I don't think Michigan State moves the ball, and I'm wary of Michigan's offense. John O'Corn is getting the start. And, you know, John brings a little more mobility to that offense than Wilton Spade. I think you and I would bring more mobility to the <laughs> offense than, than Wilton Spade. But right now, Michigan is having a hard time moving the chains, getting into the end zone. I think that continues today. I like the fact that O'Corn can make something happen with his legs, but it's really going to come down to Ty Isaac, Chris Evans, the ability to run the ball. I was very impressed by Michigan State last weekend. I, I thought the defense, Joe Bocci, the linebacker, the entire defense did a very good job in terms of containing Akram Wadley and Iowa. That might continue today, but I, I think Michigan State struggles to get into the double digits. I mean, I think this could be kind of an ugly 24-9 to kind of a Michigan victory. Let's give some praise to Don Brown. Don Brown is an older coach. He's the defensive coordinator for the Wolverines. This is not your typical hot coordinator who's going to be looking for a head coaching job. He is like a Bud Foster down in Blacksburg. Don Brown is doing an unbelievable job again with kids that we didn't know what to expect this year. Chase Wynn 
Vucinovich, the defensive end, Devin Bush, the outside linebacker. They are an absolute padlock defense, and I think Michigan State's going to struggle big time on offense. A couple of factors about Michigan State that I don't like as well. They're still negative in turnover margin. Entering this ballgame, minus four in turnover margin. They were negative last year for the first time since 2009. Very untypical under Mark D'Antonio, like I mentioned, from 2013 through 2015, plus 46 in turnover margin. They're pounding the rock with L.J. Scott statistically, 187. Not that well, But not the same. Not the same type of offense. And Lewerke, he's a mobile quarterback, but I'm still not uh, uh, sold on his consistency as a pocket passer in a big spot. Playing at home, Ann Arbor... Jim Harbaugh, this defense, to me, third downs are going to be critical, and I'll buy into to the Michigan Wolverines. had last week off, right? I mean, so Michigan had Extra two weeks to get healthy, to prep for Michigan State. I've been impressed by Brian Lewerke. I, I think he has a bright future in East Lansing. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think he's the kind of quarterback that Mark D'Antonio can build around. He looks like he has a, a lot of guts, a lot of poise for an inexperienced quarterback. And he's also mobile. He'll do a lot outside of the pocket. So I think you're looking at true dual threat potential down the road. But he's still early in his career. He still hasn't seen a defense like he will against Michigan. Michigan leads the nation against the run, and they've played Air Force. They've played a team that runs the triple option. So, again, doing a a tremendous job. L.J. Scott's a nice back, but to your point, Joe, about the offensive line of Michigan State, they have not done a good job of springing L.J. Scott. And if you're going to take a one-dimensional, one-note offense led by Brian Lewerke against Michigan. Again, I, I, I think Michigan State, if they get into the double digits, it might require a non-offensive touchdown. Yeah, and they're going to force Lewerke to re- make his reads and, cover- and, and read coverage in this ballgame, reads and progressions in this ballgame against that secondary, and that's why I like Michigan at home. They're a more blue-collar team at this point in the season. Again, I think it comes down to being able to run the football consistently, and I think Michigan's offensive line going up against Michigan State, we saw what Notre Dame did against that defense. Now, turnovers did play a part in that dominating victory on the road in East Lansing, but again... I haven't seen enough consistency from last year. I, I picked Michigan State at seven and five this year. I'm not. I think they're right there. I think they're an up and coming team. He'll yeah. get them back on track. But being an elite team in the Big Ten, I don't think so. I I agree. I I have this game in the neighborhood of twenty four to nine, twenty three to ten. Michigan. I, I think it'll be a blue collar victory. And that extra week of rest, I think, will bode well for the entire yeah, staff. Yeah, Rich and I both like Michigan. It is a 7.30 start on ABC. Check that out. When we come back, actually, uh, Washington State and Oregon. I thought we were leaving for a break there. but Don't go game. away. We're having no, too much I'm fun. not going anywhere. B- a big game in the Pac-12. Hangover effect, possibly Washington State, Oregon in Outson Stadium. A lot of eyes on the quarterback situation for the Ducks. Who do they go with? Will it be Taylor Ali or Burmeister, the third stringer? Not yet has been named in terms of Willie Taggart naming a starter heading into this ballgame but this is a game that Washington State has won two of uh, won the last two by 12 and a half points per game prior to that since 2012 Oregon did win three straight I like this Washington State team they're coming off the victory against USC I don't see a hangover effect they were able to run the football for 120 yards on the ground against USC I think it continues this coming Saturday in Outson Stadium 
you know, Joe, this one almost looks too good to be true, <laughs> right? I mean, when, when you look at the line, I mean, considering the fact that Washington State is coming off that seminal victory over USC. And again, I mentioned it last week. Um, you and I both liked Washington State over USC. I think we liked that game uh, months in advance. This is not your typical Mike Leach team. Yes, they can throw the ball. They throw it very well with Luke Falk behind center. But they're closer to a complete operation because they're mixing in the run with a wave of good running backs. And Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator, is doing a terrific job with a defense that doesn't have your traditional brutish you know, bloody-your-mouth type of defense. They are going to attack from every angle, led by Hercules Mata'afa, very aggressive, turnover-prone type of a defense. But I'm just surprised by this line. It's just a couple of points. Oregon, without their starting quarterback, I'm with you with Washington State. I'm having a hard time picking Oregon, but there's something about this that when it looks too good to be true, (laughs) it might be too good to be true. Oregon is back at home. Royce Freeman looks like he's going to play. Jim Levitt's done a good job with the Oregon defense. Dramatically improved from last year. Jalen Jelks, uh, Troy Dye on defense doing a good job. There's just something about this frightens me. Can Washington State handle this level of prosperity? I think they can. I think the one thing that you look at this matchup, why is Washington State a slight favor in this ballgame? Their first true road game of the year. So everything's been in the Palouse, in Pullman. But again, I think this is a different offense with Mike Leach this year now. They're averaging well over 400 passing yards per game, averaging into this ballgame. 81 rushing yards on the ground and that's the matchup that you want to see play out with Oregon's defensive front seven holding opposing offenses to 90 rushing yards per game can Washington State rush for over 100 because if they can I think Luke Falk could really attack this secondary and I think Washington State to me is a confident team but not just their offense it's their third down defense you mentioned Alex Grinch they're holding opposing offenses to 142 passing yards per game if it is Burmeister or Ali, an inexperienced quarterback, yeah. that secondary has a huge advantage on the road. Yeah, not a lot of great receivers also for Oregon, right? No no Darren Carrington. He is now in Salt Lake City. I, in terms of the quarterbacks, I would be surprised if either of those kids goes wire to wire. I, I think you're going to see both. Willie Taggart opened up the competition. It was a close competition throughout practice this week. You have the veteran in Taylor Ali. He doesn't have the ceiling that Braxton Burmeister does. Burmeister has a much higher ceiling. He's the kid that was recruited by Taggart and Taggart staff for the future once Justin Herbert leaves uh, Eugene. But I don't know if he's ready right now for this kind of a setting. So it's going to be a fascinating match. I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. I think it'll be close. And, and again, I, I'm taking Washington State. I just don't have the same confidence because I expected this line to be closer to like a touchdown favorite. Looking at what Washington State has done, and with Oregon's uncertainty behind center, I thought this would be a touchdown. The fact that this is hovering around just two points just scares the dickens Don't out of me. Don't be scared. I'm a little Crack frightened. Crack the whip. I'm telling Halloween's you, Washington. coming. Well, here's the thing. I think when you look at Oregon's offense, they're rushing and passing for over 200. Royce Freeman has looked good, but he's a little banged up heading into this yeah. ball game. And their defense has played much better, especially in run support, like I mentioned, holding opposing offenses to under 100 yards. Last year, they were in the area of 246 rushing yards per game. They allowed 38 rushing touchdowns as a uh, defense last year. Oregon did. 
this isn't a tough rushing offense, a blue collar, like pound it between the tackles, but these three running backs, and I know Wicks hasn't been that involved in the offense, but Morrow and Williams, especially on shovel passes and how they're utilizing the short to intermediate passing game makes Luke Falk one of the most lethal quarterbacks in the nation. Let, let's say this, if you go back to back beating USC and then going into Outson Stadium and winning in that madhouse, you know, Washington State, I'm not going to say playoff. I don't think they're at that level. But Washington State has to be looked at as a serious contender for a Pac-12 championship. We said it last week. Apple Cup against Washington. Boy, it doesn't get a lot bigger than that. Yeah, when we come back, we'll be giving our first half picks. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is Greg Sussman from the Roto Experts in the Morning. And, and listen, we can all use a little help sometimes. That's why I talk to three guys every single day that help me with my fantasy teams. But if you need help with your fantasy teams, and you probably do, you should purchase the Roto Experts Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football In-Season Package. Featuring weekly lineup ranks, chats with our experts every single day, and player cards for every player in the NFL, including reports from InsideInjuries.com. You cannot beat it. Don't set your lineups without checking the Roto Experts Exclusive Edge In-Season Package. Great matchup taking place 3.30 today in the Swamp. LSU and Ed Ogeron, Florida, coming off three straight SEC wins, Rich. LSU's won three of the last five by seven points per game. A lot of pressure on this Ed Ogeron team. They lost 24-21, to upset by Troy. 206 rushing yards allowed in that matchup. I think they bounce back in a big way. Darius Geis is supposed to play. Mm. LSU wins a close game, 23-20. to uh, After having watched <laughs> that game against Troy, the only good thing about the Troy loss for Ed Orgeron was it, it, it made us all forget how bad they were against Mississippi State <laughs> because they lost 37-7 to a Terrible Bulldog loss. team, which was overrated. I, I can't... Having watched that team closely, the lack of physicality, they look softer than I've ever seen an LSU team be at this point. I don't care if Darius Geis is back. I don't care if Leonard Fournette comes back and realizes he has more eligibility in Baton Rouge. I can't stake my reputation on, on LSU. I've seen nothing from this team. Florida, on the other hand, they just keep finding a way to win. We'll get into the, this game a little more depth, but Florida has begun to prove that they can run the football. They can play defense. LSU looks like a lost program right now. I, I can't take LSU. I like Florida. They lost this ball game 16-10 to 10 in Baton Rouge last year. It is homecoming for Florida. They've won three straight. I think it catches up to them in terms of momentum. This is one of my better picks today. I like LSU. LSU 23-20 to 20 over the Gators later today. If that's one of your better picks today, I shudder <laughs> to think what the worst picks look like. Well, one of your better <laughs> picks is West Virginia. I like them. Yeah. Not one of my better picks of the day, but I do feel they get the upset in Fort Worth. I can't want... 
wait to watch this game. I love the offense. Dana Holgerson plus Will Greer's got some good compliments. I think that's a shootout back and forth. TCU wins, but plus 14, I like the Mountaineers. I'm all in with Mike Leach and the Washington State Cougars. To me, it is the secondary that's given up right around 145 passing yards per game. Luke Falk starts fast, puts the pressure on Oregon to match them score for score. In the end, Washington State gets a double-digit victory later today. Joe, I'm in agreement with you, but just I have tepid belief in Washington State. I mean, coming off that huge victory over USC, Oregon at home, it just frightens me. I am scared. Uh, I, I, I'll take Washington State. I just don't have your confidence. Well, level. they're favored in the ballgame by about three points yeah. in that matchup. So it is a 10-15. Keep an eye out. Georgia and Vanderbilt. I like Georgia to continue the domination in terms of rushing the football against the Commodores. But this is one of your better picks later today. One more time. I'm, I'm rolling one more time with Vandy and Derek Mason. I, I think the defense finds the groove that it had earlier this season. They hang with Georgia much like they did last year. I don't think they pull the upset. Georgia's just too good defensively in the and in the running game. But I like Vanderbilt getting 17 and a half at home where they've played well this season. I'll take Vandy. Three, it's a 12 o'clock kick. I keep getting confused with that. Iowa State hasn't beaten Oklahoma 18 straight tries. Last victory came October 20th, 1990. They won that ball game 33-31. to 31. Oklahoma's won the last six by 27.3 points per game. Iowa State's starting quarterback Jacob Park did not travel with the team. He will not play. That being said, I like like the way Iowa State played last week against Texas, they keep it close against Oklahoma Joe, later prior today. Prior to the news, which we all just learned recently about Jacob Park, I was all in with you because I think too much offense for the Cyclones to get blown out by four touchdowns. Now, I just too much uncertainty behind center for Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. So I'll take Oklahoma because of the quarterback situation with Iowa State. Oklahoma does have Texas on deck. They're coming out of a bye week. That can add into that factor in terms of offensive inconsistency consistency we'll see how that game plays out rich you like smu over Houston love today. smu getting the points outright victory chad morris is doing a great job on the hilltop they upset houston today when we come back we'll be talking about lsu and florida more in depth joe we see rich sermonella live from studio 34 fantasy sports radio network